to the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? You're drowning and I throw you a life jacket. Would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask them how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns. Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show him a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know that. That's it. I'm done. Well, I'm Big Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Andrew on the board. We have S&P Futures. I'll get them here in a minute. Uh, the, uh, we're trying to make back the the carnage that was yesterday. Uh, S&P Futures are up 14.75. Nasdaq Futures up 49. Which normally would say it's a pretty good morning, but since yesterday, the S&P Futures around 64 and the Nasdaq down 207. It, we need a bit more than that. Even to do a Fibonacci retracement, it'd be like 42. We're not close to that. Do we have Mr. Kevin? morning how are you oh living the dream every single day of my life well that's you know that's a good thing uh now what would you think would be involved in the the secure and fair enforcement banking regulation act oh probably secure and fair enforcement um yeah one what would is think. involved in it what is involved in it it's uh, establishing a safe harbor for financial institutions serving legal marijuana businesses. Uh, that's what they, that's what it does. So you can be a bank and not be chased around because of uh, you're doing business for a marijuana place, which they have been able to get places, okay, but uh, uh, it's always been very difficult because the more if all of a sudden you get a new regulator in the bank and they, they boot the guys out. They, uh, they have anything to do with a marijuana place. So you always well, got to find out. That, that's, that's been true for a while because marijuana is still a federal crime. And so the federal banking system is not supposed to knowingly clear drug money. Now, whether, you know, you, you've got state-level legal and, you know, whether that should be the, the case or not is certainly up for debate. But that's what's behind this is they're saying, look, I, we, we just, you know, we can't let this go any more than we would let any other... Um, uh, federal criminal activity go on purpose, or at least, you know, hush hush, not uh, you know, <laughs> at least at least uh, flagrantly out in the open. And so they're saying you can't use the uh, the Federal Reserve's clearing system to do it. I uh, understand that logic, whether you whether you like it or not. I understand what they're saying. Well, in Colorado, they formed a credit union to do it. Uh, here it's all yeah, just been state, state chartered, sta- totally state chartered. Or you use probably, a state chartered you bank. Probably have a clearinghouse just for those credit union activities. And you have a state chartered bank here in the city, and Illinois has been doing it. It almost so most it, it's all still an issue, Tom, about what what credit cards they can accept too. Uh, they just they accept cash, in most right. places. That's, I know because they can't accept credit cards because those use the federal clearing system. And they have like an ATM in the marijuana joints. If that works. Yeah. If, if that's what works, that's what works. Um, it's they could probably they could probably do it with Bitcoin too. Now, the, the, you know we have uh, all kinds of issues with uh, well, the the new world, shall we say? And uh, we always talk about the name, image, and likenesses. We don't know where we're going, but we're well on our way. Uh, I don't know. You're you're in the uh, you know you're you're in a community where there's people, Kevin. So I I don't really refer to it as the boonies, but um, compared to here, it's the boonies. 
we have uh, this morning, just in driving in with Andrew, the traffic is an absolute disgrace. There's like five crashes this morning with people killed all over the place. And yet, just me driving yesterday, I had to <coughs> drive some. And uh, this weekend, probably with the boys in from out of town, Kevin and my friends from Notre Dame, I probably did more driving on the expressways than I have in a long time. Every time I think it's anarchy, the next time I get on the expressway, it's worse anarchy. And and you can't tell me that part of that isn't every time you stand next to the expressway, you can get high just by standing there. The idea that everybody in the world needs to be stoned and driving, to me, is so insane I can't go there. I know there's a law, but there's no, no test, there's no anything. There's, there hasn't been one that I know of, one marijuana arrest while driving. And yet, every place you go, if the open wind is in the summertime, you can get high just by breathing. Is this really where we want to go? No, but law enforcement isn't enforcing anything on the highways. Why do you think they're going to enforce that? I saw a guy blow through a red light right in front of a cop the other night, and he, right here right across the street, and I'm walking across. Fortunately, I wasn't walking across. He didn't care. Last night, I probably saw five guys go through red lights on the way home, just, just from here to my place. It's two miles. There isn't a cop anywhere. Why are, why are we paying them? I mean, if everybody just quits, the minute you say that to somebody, they go, oh, it's a horrible job, nobody wants to do it. That's fine. Don't do it. Just don't get paid. Just saying. It makes sense to me. There have been attacks. Uh, I think I didn't get the full statement, so I shouldn't really say this, but uh, I live two blocks away from DePaul, and it's a campus, nice, you can walk through there and so forth. Most of it is on city streets, so... Then they, have, then they have one spot where there a couple of streets don't go through, so there's like a main quadrangle. Other than that, it's basically on city streets. So now they had a bunch of people get attacked on last weekend. The typical car pulls up, always a white stolen SUV. I don't know why people like that color. Two guys, 90% of the time they're African-American, pile out in hoodies in broad daylight now and attack people and take their stuff. One lady resisted, she got pistol whipped. This is on DePaul's campus, like on a Saturday afternoon. So the DePaul's guy comes out yesterday and he says he's going to want the students to be <clears throat> carrying their IDs at all times. And by the way, he doesn't want like other people on the campus. It's a city street, Kevin. What the bleep is he talking about? Well, they probably uh, they probably won't let them carry weapons either to defend themselves. Well, you've got. You have if you go if you go around the campus, it's sort of like in Chicago, not as bad. There's all these these kiosks where you can call the police right there. There's got to be cameras on top of every one of those things. Where where is everybody? And and once the first person gets robbed, how do they go and rob four more people before any police show up? I mean, what 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 are these people doing? Everybody is afraid to be called a racist just to be called a racist. So when it becomes an issue of, um, it, it becomes an issue of, um, you know, t uh, minority groups who are perpetrators, they don't want to touch it. And once they start, once they say, well, I don't want to touch it, I'm not going to touch any of it. Well, if I was going to, <coughs> down the, excuse me, down the south, <coughs> if I was going to go down the south and go clean up a bunch of Ku Klux Klansmen, which are still probably people around, do I, have to, do I have to arrest the same amount of black people just to keep it even? No, you just have to arrest people who are committing crimes. I don't give a shit who, or a, a darn who, who they are. But that's not what we can't do. This has become culture. We can't. But the, 
Some, I don't. I don't. We talk, I don't about, we talk about dividing people all the time. Once you know, once we do that, it's very, it's very effective politically, apparently. But the you know the problem is um, we're not helping any people. Do you you know do you think people in black neighborhoods are real happy about the crime rates? They're the leaving. They're person? leaving. Yeah, they're they're getting the hell out of there because they can't you know they they don't want to do it. The but, lo- the lowest. You know, keep keep voting the, for the same people for who uh, who do it. You know, who allow it. The lowest the lowest person on the uh, on, on the on the on the totem pole of of uh, happiness in life has to be a legitimate b- black person living in Englewood, Englewood or Westside. We we have to come up with a better term than legitimate black person. I mean, somebody who's actually has a family, trying to has a house there, tries to go to work, tries, tries to have the kids go to school. And this is going on in front of their house every night. <clears throat> what what rights do they have? They don't. And yet, and yet somehow they vote for these people. <clears throat> I don't get it. Or they don't. I don't know. Somebody does. No, they do. They do. Yeah, yeah I don't know. So it's, you know, look, don't ask me for an explanation. I can't make any sense of it. Well, then if you can't straighten that out, straighten out the Bears. <laughs> no, I'm too bit preoccupied with straightening out the Cubs. Um, That may have been the death blow last night. Yeah, it might have been. The... That was just such a horrible loss. Um, so if you were, uh, what's his name, you'd be, turn out the lights. Yeah, well, I don't know if I'd do that. And, of course, they're not they're not dead, so they've been pretty resilient all year. Maybe they will bounce back. However, uh, boy, um, you know, to, call, to lose the way they did was just a killer. Just well, you, killer. Can't, you can't build this lead against a good team and go, would they go six innings without scoring? You can't do that. Well, you can't do that, but you also can't go uh, into the bottom of the eighth, walk the first two guys, wild pitch them partway around, and then misplay a ball. I think he lost it. It looked like he lost it in the lights. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and they and they both score. So you know that I mean that we're talking about one of their veteran pitchers who you know has pitched like that all year. I mean, what I don't know what you do about that. You know, you you, you can make changes in the off season, but they got enough guys injured so that they really don't have much choice but to pitch these guys. Well, the closers, is he coming back at all? Uh, they're saying, if anything, it will be like this weekend, um, but more likely he would be a playoff ad if they're in the playoffs. Um, of course, that, that cascades through everything they do with their pitching. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, and, and, and he's not the only, you know, one of their late-inning guys who's on the uh, dis, uh, on the injured list, so you know, you're you're down two guys that have been pitching really well for you in the eighth and ninth innings, and now you're just kind of screwed. And, and and you know, if you're if you have a team like the Dodgers, where you have a lot of talent and you're very deep, then you can do that. But the Cubs, you know, that's not what they have. You know, at least not yet. And uh, so, you know, I've thought all along this team's ahead of schedule for being a, a playoff. What game. do you mean everybody else wants Ross fired? Well, anybody who wants Ross fire is an idiot because he's, you know, I don't, I don't know what he should have done that he hasn't done. Yeah, I don't either. And and if anything, he's kept a team that has been kicked uh, enough times, and you know, just taken that, taken that, you know, kick to the nuts, and uh, and kept them focused, and they just keep bouncing back. So no, I, I actually think Ross has done a really fine job this year. Yeah, I do too. I don't. Uh, 
I, I think he, he tries the right stuff, and uh, and some guys he he stuck with like Suzuki and people have all of a sudden turned around and played really pretty well. So, you know what I, I would have done differently last night though, Kevin? Honestly, I uh, and I don't know how you do this uh, politically or how you do this to a person, but after he dropped that fly ball, you could see the guy was so visibly upset. I mean, if he'd have one of the knives, he'd have killed himself. You, you can't let him bat. He, he was useless at the plate. Or is that just me? Well, he was, and yeah, I don't know what you do, you know, about that, because because you also have to look at who your alternatives are. <laughs> yeah. Well, the guy who's carrying him, and I hope they I hope they re-sign him. Uh, Andrew. They, they they you hope they re-sign Andrew? No, Andrew is a. Uh, he forgot to give me keys here. He's I don't know what he's doing. Uh, he's got it in his hand. Uh, Andrew went out and got his coffee in the rain, which is nice of him. Uh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you do with that. With the but he, he his head really wasn't in in his at bat. He he looked pretty bad. Plus, this there's a reason why this this Crow Armstrong kid was at double A. He, he's totally overmatched at the plate. I mean, he can do everything else, but he can't hit. Well, and he, yeah, he had moved up to triple A, but a year ago he yeah. was in in class A. Yeah. Yeah, the, you know. It, they know that they understand that, and uh, so yeah, he's still their top prospect, but he's not major league ready yet. You know what? I was surprised they they sent out, and I I, I think I checked this out. I was pretty hurried at it. I was uh, I'm tempted to get our gang together and meet for uh, three days down in Arizona for the fall league. We could go see see three games and have a good time. And uh, there's no you know there's nobody really in Arizona in in, in October for whatever reason. It's beautiful down there. Uh, Anyway, the Cubs put six guys in the fall league roster. I was thinking I'd get to see all these guys in AAA. They put five pitchers on, and, and the one guy was already on the team, the guy with the grand slam. He's the only position player they put on the team. Why? I mean, they've got other guys that need to, need to work. Why isn't uh, Arms, is Armstrong some, there? In now? some cases, it's individual work where they, you know, they just want to work with them uh, not playing games. They want to work with them at their training facility. I, I think you need... This, this Cromstone guy needs live pitching. He doesn't need a training facility. He can do everything else. Well, I, you know, I don't know what to tell you about him. I, you know, you're asking the wrong person as to why they cho- made the choices they cho- made. What do you mean? I ask you everything. You're supposed to know all the answers. You and guys like Russell, you're professors. Uh, I'm an amateur professor. Oh, all right. What? Um, I'm, I'm more and more intrigued. Yesterday, that I was, I don't know why. Boy, I got to, I got to blame Carl for this. When uh, I listen all day long, to, before you before you can get on TV, you have to say the economy is performing amazingly well, better than anybody expected. I can't. Last night I was uh, met some of my attorney buddies, and uh, one of the guys there is a well, he's not an attorney, he's an accountant. And I said, you know, he, and he does you know a bunch of different businesses and peoples and everything. He's a tax guy. I said, can you explain any way, any way to me, how if the economy is growing? Like these people all say it is, even with inflation, which really should add to it, how the returns to government on individual tax payments last year are appreciably, this year, are appreciably lower than last year. He looks at me and he goes, well, they can't be like that because the economy is growing. I go, look at the numbers. It's like $500 billion. He goes, you got to be kidding me. I said, no. I said, that's why I don't think we're in, we're in this rosy thing that everybody who's getting paid who's on TV thinks we are. He goes... Because if the if the tax stuff is is less, we got to be doing less. <laughs> I'm like, duh. How could that possibly be wrong, Kevin? Well, it can't be. And and I actually do see people who are not spouting the uh, um, the happy talk line. Uh, rare, rare. 
Oh, yeah, because you watch CNBC all day, I don't. Um, so, uh, so I, you know, I get a little bit different. I get a, a more mixed per, uh, perspective on that. But the, um, uh, it, it, I, I think, you know, your, your girlfriend, your, your other girlfriend, that we should not tell uh, Audrey about her, uh, AOC. Yeah. I, I think for once I agree with her, um, where she said, you know, if you experience the uh, economy on paper, you have a totally different viewpoint than if you experience the econ- economy as a person trying to raise a family, living a day-to-day life. Well, for all her her interesting things she said, one thing I'll say about her and I, is in the last five years, she's had a real job. Where the rest yeah, of the- a, little, a little longer than that. You mean tending bar. Yeah, well, where else can you meet people more than tending bar? Well, I, I agree. Yeah. You know, people, you know, uh, I, I once had a great conversation with a bartender, um, and and I use this uh, in, um, in in class, you know, sometimes for uh, coaching people, uh, and and it's really um, the the way it works is I, I was in I was in Chicago uh, on business in the morning, and then I was meeting my family for dinner in the evening, and I had some time to kill in the uh, in the afternoon, so um, I. Uh, uh, I found a nearby saloon uh, where I, I think Wimbledon was on TV, some early rounds of Wimbledon. There was a really good match. So I'm sitting there watching that, nursing a beer, and uh, talking to the bartender because there's nobody else in there. So I said to her, you know, your job, your, your, you know, your, how much money you make is dependent on your ability to have conversations with people. So what is it you do to have good conversations with people? And she said, uh, you know, it's it's really pretty simple. You ask people about themselves because people like to talk about themselves, and you ask open-ended questions. You never answer, ask anybody a yes or no question. You always, you know, and, and you prompt and you say, tell me more, and you do all those kinds of things. I said that that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And then I gave her one more. The one more is find a way in any conversation to uh, you know pay a sincere uh, compliment to somebody. You know, um, you know, it's not not like uh, you know, especially in a business setting, it's not like you'll say, "Hey, what a smoking hot dress!" You can't do that, but you can say, "You know, I really love it when I see somebody who is so enthusiastic about the way you make your living." Um, you know, that that's just so cool to see. You must really, uh, you must really be good at your job. You know, those kinds of things are how you pay a compliment. And so, I think if you throw those three things in, uh, as a bartender, uh, you're going to make a whole lot of money. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, especially if, uh, well, if if you become you become somebody's counselor basically, back and forth. I mean, uh, the uh, the girls the girls downstairs because it was like the only bar during COVID. Um, I of course have their whole life stories, right? And and they're they're all good people. I mean, a couple of them are uh, vet techs, and a couple others work for banks, and a couple are school teachers. And I mean, unless unless you're in the well, we have a couple of people down there that are full time during the day, but I never go in there during the day. But the people at night, they work one or two nights a week to to uh, augment like another another uh, salary somewhere. Especially the school teachers, the two of the two school teachers work in a Catholic school, so they don't get paid as much. They one of them's over in Chinatown, and I'm not so sure where the other one is, but they teach grammar school. Real bright people love their job, and they they bartend one night a week just to you know just to get the couple hundred bucks or whatever it is, which you know everybody needs now. Uh, and you get, you find out what's going on with everybody, pretty much. You find out what's going on in the schools and so forth. And uh, 
Catholic schools, I think, are doing, are doing fine. I think they're actually they're actually picking up enrollment for the first time in you know last few years and, and since they have forever. But some places are doing all right. Uh, I just I mean, this constant uh, uh, barrage of, of information that is just isn't true. I don't I don't get it. I plus I don't I don't, I don't understand why our why our our political people. I, I surely get it when you uh, if you have like a teacher's strike. All right. And I don't really, you know, I'm not so sure I really like the idea of public employee unions. Matter of fact, I probably don't, uh, because it's not an arm's length transaction. I mean, you elect somebody, you have votes, and the person negotiates a contract with you. It's, it's not the same as, as Ford or GM, where they're fighting over this over the piece of their pie. Whether whether the union gets forty percent or twenty percent doesn't affect the price of the car, even though people think it does. Uh, the uh, because the car's already up, the cars or trucks, the prices are already up, and, and one has really nothing to do with the other, which is the hardest thing to, to explain to somebody economically. But the uh, why I can see where conservative people of that bent, and by the way, I, I'm not all that conservative, but I'm on that side of this one. Would say I, I don't, I don't want a city negotiating with a teachers union that just put a mayor in office, basically. I mean, that's that's insane to me. Now, I can see where wh- whoever the liberals happen to be these days, and it's not me, are all over that. The, oh, yeah, yeah, you are. You're just not one of the off-the-deep-end crazy people. Well, I'm, I'm liberal in the sense that I'll, I'll try anything once if it helps people, but if it doesn't, I want to get rid of it. So well, no, That's not how I define liberal either. No. Uh, so but so on the, I can see on the conservative side saying, no, you, you guys, you got, you got, you're not doing this. The rest of the people can't pay it. Uh, I, I get that part, but why the Republicans and Democrats feel they have any should be anywhere near this UAW strike is beyond me. Where the, where the guy running for uh, the black guy running for uh, presidential office wants to fire everybody, and, and and Biden's in the picket line. Both of those guys should keep the bleep out of this thing, or is that just wrong for me to say that? Uh, Not those no, guys. They, actually, they, they should because when you walk that picket line, you've taken a side and. Um, I, you know, I, I first of all, I don't think that's appropriate. But aside from that, it was Biden was actually pretty harmless. He was only there about ten minutes. So, well, you know, here, here's what: if if it was me, well, Trump's going to be there today. And oh, he's going to, you know, he'll he'll spend a lot of time. And he'll probably send out to McDonald's for everybody. Oh God, well, here's a here's here's the thing with me. I I always like to look at it. You can't just, but these guys just they just want to spout, Kevin. Uh, if you were to say. If Biden would, would, of course, I can't, I don't think I can even write. Um, if, if he were to write an op-ed, write a column, and, and instead of just, you know, jaw slapping, if he were to write a column and say, here's the story with the Auto Workers Union and other people as well, because by this, what, this morning, you probably want to listen to Becky Quick on CNBC, was going on and on about how many strikes there are now and how it's affecting everybody. Now, if, if Biden would get out there and say, I know you people that if you look at the stuff that we do in government, we're saying that, by the way, this inflation has been tamed and has been tame all along, and our number for the last four years is 20% or 19%. If he were to say the number is really 40%, by anybody's imagination, 37 to 40%, I'll be nice. The number is really 40%. So when people are asking for a 40% le- raise over a five-year period, they're, they're not even catching up. I mean, if he, were to, if he were to say something like that as to why he feels... These guys deserve that raise, and, and put it down on paper with the numbers, and actually say this is where I'm coming from. 
they, they need to at least catch up. And oh, by the way, everybody else is in the same boat because this is what we had to do for COVID, and this was the side effect, and this is where we are. Why, why are we in denial about where we are, for God's sake? I don't know, but we. But that's sort of the root of the problem. That's sort of the. That's the uh, basically the root of why people don't understand um, the union position. Again, you, you can. You can. We can quibble. We can argue. They can. You know, they can do anything they want about the amount, but ultimately the point is um, that uh, they're getting crushed. But Biden's. Yeah. You know, Biden's sort of tagged with the inflation, so he can't very well go out there and say, "Well, <laughs> you're in this. You're in this boat because of inflation." Um, and in, and in fact, he's not only tagged with it, but he's been, uh, um, you know, he's been saying it's all coming down, and it, it, you know, it's all getting better. So he can't he can't go out and have that kind of honesty. Well, that's a shame. I mean, it's I mean, it's, because it, it would contradict him his you know his own statements, like his own statements this week. <laughs> so, well, I, you know, I, I have an odd odd spot here because obviously it was in a university where that's where they were. That's where you taught monetary theory. I mean, if, if you were four weeks into a class at, at University of Chicago and the test was a catastrophic event hit the country, whether it was or wasn't COVID, it was if you died, surely enough, or one of your family members died. Yeah, it was very catastrophic. Uh, a catastrophic event hit, and the government's response, since they seem to have had problems with their with their uh, finances anyway, they decided to give people a real lot of money, and instead of taxing or borrowing, they just printed it and gave it to everybody and they, they blew the money supply by 40% in two and a half years, what would be the ramifications? There couldn't be a kid in that class that couldn't write down eight things that were going to happen over the next four years, and every single one of them has happened. It, it is so predictable. That's, that's the part that aggravates me, Kevin. It, this, this is, then you have, you have morons writing books like the new monetary theory. It's not going to matter. you got a president who doesn't believe any of this stuff. It, it absolutely played out exactly like it was going to happen. It was like... You know, there, there's people in Illinois that do the flood stuff, and they were and they have maps, they have stuff, they have these guys have encyclopedia knowledge of of the ground, of the water flows, of everything. And you say, pick a county and say there's a two inch rain in a ten hour period. They can tell you exactly where it's going to go. And you say, make that a four inch rain, and they go, Ugh. and then they tell you exactly where it's going to go. This this is not. But then you get a four inch rain, and everybody's stunned. The people who know what they're doing aren't stunned. They know exactly where it's going to go, right? I mean, we we got a lot of smart people. Do we ever let them talk? No. Yeah, but anyway, SP Futures up 16. Hopefully we can keep this rally going. I'm tired of everybody losing on these stocks. Uh, up 16, uh, NASDAQ up 51. Hopefully uh, we got to come back uh, oh, way, way, way more than this. We'll be right back, Stocks and Jacks. Investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. 
but I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as I do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day -day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630 401 8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tim Howe. And we're on the board. We have S&P futures up 13.75. We've got Nasdaq futures up 41. We're trying to come back from yesterday's. I got to use the word carnage. I mean, we were just down all day. We came back a little bit on the close. But boy, just not very much. We were down like 67 points in the S&Ps virtually all day long. And we, fin we finished down maybe 55 on the close. A little bit of short covering, but boy, not very much. Uh, Dow's up 109 here this morning. So individual stocks. I mean, everybody got hammered yesterday. Microsoft's up a buck 61. We had Chevron Tech's go up a buck 49, so I'm going to guess oil's going to be up. Amgen is up 126. Um, let's let's take a look over in Europe. See if we got any kind of bounce here. Uh oh, DAX, there's a bounce. It's up 50 cents. I think we'll call that flat. FTSE down 10.1%. Kick around out 8.1%. So they're like not even trading, which is kind of interesting, seeing as we were down so much yesterday. Nikkei, which got hammered yesterday, is up 56, call that 0.2%. Hang Seng up 144. Still not even close to 18,000, 17,611. Shanghai up 5, 3,107. So no bounces anywhere, really. Again, Dow was down 388 yesterday. S&P down 64. NASDAQ down 208. It's 1.6%. These are big numbers. Uh, bonds, 10 years down 4 basis points, 4.51. 
Went up during the day yesterday, now it's back. It's right at, right where we talked about it yesterday. It's right at 4.5, 4.51. The bond uh, down two basis points for 2.78. Japan unchanged 0.74. Oil, like we said, up a dollar forty-four, well, kind of well over 90 here. It was down under 90 yesterday. Now it's 91.83. Ran up a dollar 22, 95.18. Natural gas up one, 267. Arbob up two cents, 258. We've got gold. Now they're down another 840. <coughs> this is a one month low at 1911. It's been a buy here. You know, we'll see. I don't know. A silver down 15 cents, 2304. Usually silver has been a buy around 2250. Uh, for about three times now, of course. I don't know, fourth time's a charm or not. Uh, Copper down one cent to uh, 364. We've got Bitcoin up 422. Finally, a rally there, 26,643. If you're a Bitcoin guy, uh, and we've got the uh, dollar is up again today. Go figure with this other stuff down. Gold, a euro is down to 105.3, and the British pound's down to 121. So dollar has been strong, causing some issues with uh, some of these commodities. Uh, if you've got the commodities, uh, if you're along the dollar versus the euro, you're happy. Uh, so it's a question of where you're long, where you're short. Andrew, what do you got for us, Trevi Weather Sports? All right, it is uh, 6.38 here in Chicago on Wednesday, September 27th. Starting off with some sports, uh, we had a loss from the Cubs yesterday. They lost to the Braves 6-7. And the Diamondbacks won over the White Sox. And in their game, 15-4. Currently right now for Chicago weather, is 64 degrees. We have uh, partly cloudy skies. We're going to have a high of 75 today. Uh, Looks like our rain, we have a little bit right now, but it's going to be going away. It's just going to stick around for maybe the end of the hour, and that'll be all. Uh, but over in Phoenix, they're currently at 74 degrees. they got clear skies. They're going to have a high of 102, and that's going to hit around 4 p.m. Now, finally, for Chicago traffic, uh, inbound, excuse me, traffic on the inbound expressways is about business as usual. You have uh, delays, especially if you're on that Kennedy from about Austin Avenue, nearly all the way to downtown, and it's about the same on the other major expressways. But... A uh, very major thing to note is on the I, on the uh, 57 going north, uh, it looks like it is completely closed between 111th Street and Halstead Street. Fatal crash earlier. Yeah, exactly. A, a pretty bad crash earlier. So uh, you might have to... <laughs> sorry, I can't give it an uh, alternative, but you might have to find a way around if you're going that way. Your uh, alternatives would have to be Halstead or something like that, and that's, that's horrible. Good, yeah. That's, so, my, that's my hood, so I know. Gotcha. But other than that, that is all I got. Well, that's enough. That's you, enough. Chief. It's a we we can't stop any from going 100 miles an hour. We can't p- keep people off the shoulders. I le- yesterday I was on there this weekend, Kevin. I was on the Stevenson, and people kept running on the shoulder, and this guy with this huge semi kept moving over to the shoulder to try and block people from going by him. He was all pissed off at him. So that's what people. We're gonna take the law into our own hands here. Just saying. Yeah, and that and you know what what could go wrong with that. Yeah, it's a. I don't know. We, I, I don't. I don't. When it gets to the point where if you're not cheating, you're not trying. I, so yesterday I, I saw the move. It's one thing. I'm on 87th Street, right? And you're, so you're going through. Well, it's it's a African American neighborhood. I've I've driven down that street. I mean, my, in my lifetime, have to be thousands of times, Kevin, and I never once was afraid until the last several years when there's been shootings in the middle of the day in that area. It was it, the area just for for generations the, the area just happened to be black, but it was fine. There was nothing 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 wrong with people living there or anything like that. No, now all of a sudden it's totally different and every red light somebody is is doing something different. So finally I see the the coup de gras 
there's two lanes, maybe four cars apiece for the light, waiting at the red light. Somebody from the back, you know, like the right turn lane? Mm-hmm. Somebody swings into the right turn lane probably at 45 miles an hour, blows through the red light. Now, God help, there wasn't a baby carriage, another car, or a biker coming down that street on the green. Never even looked, never even had a chance to look, blew through the thing, did the same thing at the next light, and was gone about 60 miles an hour up the up the, 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 uh, the hill of Dan Ryan's woods. And I'm going, how, I, I didn't see a policeman anywhere in the whole way down there. I mean, how does, how does somebody even think that that's okay? I mean, well, hopefully we didn't educate them. I mean, j- just the idea, it's one thing to look both ways, see nobody coming, and sneak through on a red. I mean, I'm not big on that either, but at least that way, you're not, you're, at least you're somewhat aware that you're not going to hurt anybody. What, this is this is this total non non caring stuff that we don't care who we shoot. Where did this all come from? I, I don't. This I, is it, it. Really, is all a uh, a matter of just saying uh, bleep these people. I'm doing what I want. What a, what a charming attitude. You know, these are. I don't know. It, it, don't even get me started on this. It's. It, um, how about them bear? Oh no, we don't want to do that. No, either. we don't do that either. What I, I do have a I was talking to a bunch of people over the weekend, as you know, our people, and your name kept coming up, and uh, and every, adjective in front. Uh, no, 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 uh, just uh, in terms of what you are are trying to accomplish, you your your school and your education, because we're trying to. We had a big discussion about, you know, because Mike Mike is, uh, comes on. Mike Murphy was talking about how some of these jobs are coming back from overseas. And they can't sometimes get the right people to fill them, and a lot of them. Matter of fact, the, the last two people hired my nephew's place uh, are people from the military, because they, you know, they worked on ships or whatever they did, and they, they're, they're an easy, easy flow into using machinery and stuff in places and making stuff for people. Um, so the question is, if you, if you fast forward out uh, 25 years and you have people, you know, basically bitching about. Do you really want to spend a quarter million dollars at Notre Dame or 300000 or some other place and, you know, 17000 for room and board so you can eat like a king every night? Uh, do you really want to do all that and lock yourself into that kind of, of uh, expense, whether parents pay for it or not? Uh, or do you want to go the other, other route and just say, okay, this business is coming back. Chicago used to be 80% of this business. Now it's 20% or 15%. And we bump back to 20, but I'm going to put all my cards in that basket and say that's what I'm going to do for the next 25 years. And, and I actually said that Kevin's approach is probably the best, where you try and learn as much as you can about all this stuff, where maybe you, you get a some kind of... If, if you're going to do and work at my nephew's place for a while, you're still going to take some classes at Ivy Tech in marketing, economics, finance, where either you're the most educated guy on the, on the plant floor or you're ready to move if the place closes or you're ready to move into management if you're in the place. And I really think that for a lot of people, Kevin, that's probably the right approach. Well, the, the other part of it, Tom, is you can always off-ramp and on-ramp for education. You don't have to do it serially. Uh, so, you know, so what works? It's what skills do you need to do your current job, do it better? What skills do you need to do your next job but you don't worry so much about what skills you need to be the plant manager until you're already in management and then you come back and you might, you know, you're going to start getting a little bit, you know, heavier dose of accounting and, uh, uh, you know, all the other uh, types of things that you would get in a normal business, correct, Alan? 
So yeah, I, when we start them off and say, you know, let's let let's you know start you with with our certificates. Start you know learn learn about all aspects of the business, um, but all you know it's all kind of driven around a quality focus anyway. And I, I now have more companies buying into that than before. You know, to the point where, um, you know, we were, of course, post-pandemic, everybody scuffled with enrollment. And basically, we sent our students away and told them not to come back. Maybe you can talk to us online, but don't come back. And, and I think some of those decisions, not just for us, but for colleges in general, were just, first of all, they, they weren't founded in science, so that was a problem. But aside from that, um, they, uh, uh, you know, they, they weren't good for they weren't good for business. Is probably the best way to put it. We, you know, people, you get people out of the habit of going to school, and it's hard to get them back into it. Where I'm seeing it now is it, partly because of economic slowdown and, and companies wanting to keep their good people. Um, but really, it's a strategy not just to keep good people, but to skill them up so that when things do bounce back, whatever that may be, um, that they are they are really ready to rock. And a lot of them are trying to change culture. You know, a lot of them really understand that improving their the the quality. You know, getting more into lean and getting more into uh, um, you know Six Sigma and getting more people trained into those kinds of disciplines is good for business too it's good for profitability wait a minute what is what is lean and six sigma lean is a uh, is a manufacturing or a process but you know the process methodology for uh, quality management and it, it's uh, it, it's driven a lot by um, the, the same concepts that you see with just in time it's getting rid of waste um, cutting you know cutting any kind of waste out of your process um, uh, eliminating steps, eliminating work and process inventory because that hides your problems. There's there's a whole discipline to it, and that's you know if if you want to give me a, a a two hour show to discuss it, I probably still can't cover everything. Six Sigma is take is your sort of your next level for that, where you're saying we are going to get ourselves to a defect rate of no more than three point four per million opportunities. 3.4 defects. That's the Motorola methodology, uh, and uh, so you know you, you start learning it. But it's very it's very everything's very data driven here. Everybody understands that you can't get to perfect you know perfect just in time world. That you need some just in case inventory because that's gonna uh, you know and, and that it's not always appropriate everywhere you look. Um, but uh, but on the other hand. Um, you know, when when you think about it, if and, and you think about work and process inventory, what you know the downside of it is one, it takes up space and it costs money and it ties up capital, so you want to reduce your inventory levels there. But in addition to that, it hides your quality problems because if you send me a bad part for the next line on the uh, the next step in the assembly process, um, then uh, all I have to do is set it aside because there's another one in the queue waiting for me. And the companies that get into lean and do it really well will say, "We got to stop the line now. We got to fix whatever's going on so that we get our defect rate, our scrap rates down, because scrap is expensive too." And all of this stuff is data driven. It's all measured. It's all data driven, and it's um, you know there's a there's a real science to it. What are you guys seeing without without asking you to talk out of school? It seems like uh, the adults. I mean, Russell was telling me that he's gone really almost exclusively teaching uh, the graduate students 
because the, the other guys are, especially at one of the places he was teaching, they don't they don't want to be there, and he doesn't and he doesn't he doesn't enjoy it if they don't if they don't want to you know if they don't want to be there as well as he is. Uh, anyway, so a lot of what you're doing is for people that are out working, have the family, or starting a family or whatever, and they want to get better, and they're and they're they're motivated. What do, what uh, I'm not going to draw a line to Chicago here, although I might. What are you seeing with the kids straight out of out of high school? I mean, Eric tells me that his, in his creative writing class, he spends the first three weeks on punctuation. I mean, is it? Oh, yeah, there, there's a lot of remedial skills, but I, I deal with those anyway. You know, I mean, they're, they're just our things that I build into every class I teach because I'm not going to assume a skill level. I mean, there, there's so much to it, Tom. That, you know, among the things, everybody's got different learning styles, so you have to adapt. Your, you know. You, you got to try and put something into every single class to hit every single learning style. Um, there's a certain amount of redundancy that goes, you know, with presenting material that way. Um, you know, I use a lot of video. I use a lot of discussion. I use a lot of. I do some lecture. I do some. You know, I mean, you name it. I just start, you know, uh, picking things off of the menu, because that's what you have to do to try and reach everybody, and and it's a real effort. And the, you know, there's there's a whole. But I've, I've had a lot of professional teacher training in the last couple of years, so I, I could get into that, uh, you know, at, at another time because we're, we're we don't have enough time now. No, we never. But I, I guess what I'm saying but, is, but what I'm what I'm getting at is, are are, are students coming well prepared out of high school, uh, to some degree? I, you know, I t most of my students are working adults, but I do when my business classes I may. In fact, I I had one group last. I think it was last fall, where I had them through Intro to Business and then Principles of Management. So I had the same group, and they were typically younger. And if they weren't just out of high school, they were they went they got out of high school, and uh, worked a couple of years and then came back. So it was a very very much a younger group, and I thought they were terrific. They were great students. They were you know they were really engaged, um, and they're good. But you got to remember, my demographic too is is a little bit different. So that's where I was know, getting to. Yeah. The, the, the fir first first of all, I get a lot of, um, uh, I, I get a lot of students who are there because of affordability. You get your first two years with us, and then maybe you're going to go to IU South Bend, or you're going to go to uh, um, you know Goshen College or Bethel or some you know one of the local colleges, or you may go to IU in, in Bloomington. Um, uh, so you know, you, uh, or Purdue, or one of the other state schools. So you can do all of that, but the um, uh, but that's that's not as typical as it is that I get a lot of first generation college students, um, and uh, so you know that the we we have you know more more so at our South Bend campus than our Elkhart location, um, but uh, but we we get a lot of people who. Uh, would score below the poverty line. Um, you might refer to them as Pell Grant eligible. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, uh, so we get a lot of students in there, and they aren't necessarily coming from the best schools. So, we, yeah, we do have to work on, on some remedial skills uh, with them. Um, but they're, you know, it doesn't mean they're not brilliant people. They are. Uh, we also get, um, uh, you know, in in Elkhart County, I get a whole lot of Hispanic students. And their first generation too, but that's a whole different experience in terms of, you know, the students because this it's such a big deal to the whole family. Um, so there's a different kind of engagement there. 
and um, and you know they're they're actually they're a joy to teach. Um, well, the strength of, is, the strength of family so there is the strength of family there is is dramatic. Yeah, I mean it's uh, I mean I guess my question and, that we're and gonna... I get people who were brought here illegally when they were children. You know the the DACA uh, the DACA people. Um, you know, I, I, I get a certain number of those, and probably a lot more than I know, but some who will talk about it and some people who won't. Um, so, you know, it, you, you just, it, I, I see a whole different mix of students than Russell would normally see. Well, what, I guess my, my question I want to get to is could, given the state of the Chicago public schools, and some of them are terrific, by the way. There's some of them, what they used to call them magnet schools. Now they call them what? you got to take a test to get in, whatever what they call them. But uh, selective enrollment schools, is that is that the term, the new term? Okay, I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah, I think that's the new term. Uh, I mean, could you replicate what you're doing on Chicago's south or west side, or would you have to, I mean, uh, ideally, some of what you do would be, would be passed back into the school. I mean, whatever you went to Kelly, she said all this stuff, a lot of stuff that you do, was done at Kelly. I mean, and, and certainly not you do, but the the the, the skill set for machinery and all that stuff. And my cousin went to Tilden Tech. He goes, "God, they had a garage there with an airplane engine where you took it apart and put it back together." Yeah. I mean, a couple of couple of approaches, Tom. To just to, to get to your question, one is we do a lot of dual enrollment, or excuse me, dual credit, which means uh, a high school teacher has to be you know has to meet the college's credential standards. Um, and then they teach the course for both high school and college credit. Um, and we even, uh, on occasion, well, not even a, not, not even a, a trivial amount, we have a lot of uh, high school students who are at our graduation ceremonies because they're getting a, uh, a credential from Ivy Tech, too. It might be an associate's degree. Uh, for the really motivated ones, it might be a certificate, but it, it doesn't really matter. If you were to come to our graduation ceremony at the uh, basketball arena at Notre Dame, you would find, I don't know, uh, a thousand kids or more who were in their high school, uh, um, you know, graduation regalia. Uh, so, um, you know, it, it, it is a big deal to do the dual credit. In my program, it is difficult to find someone who I can, who meets the credentialing standard for supply chain management. So the discussions we're having there right now is to try and get the students in what we would call a dual enrollment situation. That's where they come to campus. I teach them. I might, for the Elkhart schools, the nine Elkhart public schools, I might get, you know, two or three students from each one. And then you build a cohorted class that goes through it. And then we block those credits. You know, there's there's a strict set of criterion from the sta- uh, criteria from the state, but we can walk those credits back to their high school curriculum. So they're still getting the college credit. But they, they, when they graduate, they will all they will have both the uh, uh, high school graduation complete, uh, completed, and the uh, uh, a credential from us. So either way, you know, there's a couple of ways to skin that cat, and we we work on both of them. Yeah, I don't, I don't see any of that stuff going on here, and it's a, it's, I, I, it's a well, shame. Well, there there is some. I don't. I I really don't know what the Chicago public schools do. If you go up to Lake County, they have a, a whole cooperative uh, thing, and it's probably been there 30 years, uh, where um, the, this, the, they have a building, um, and I, I forget what they call it, the, the tech campus, the high school tech campus, um, and that's at College of Lake County, which is uh, up there somewhere. I forget what town it's in. And then all of the Lake County schools um, they, they have they have curriculum ranging from culinary arts to 
uh, uh, computer technicians and network engineers to um, oh oh my goodness photography um, you know uh, uh, firefighting auto mechanics you name it they they have all of these and so what happens is the students who choose that pathway actually will get on a bus they'll get to their campus in the morning whether it's uh, Stevenson or Lake Forest High School or whatever and they'll bus over to College of Lake County and take all of their tech curriculum in the morning and then they go back to their schools their high schools in the afternoon for their um, math English science what's well, this like a great studies. idea yeah and and so you know everything is shared by all of the Lake County high schools and that's been there for a really really long time um, I have a question question for you I have I'm talking to two two different people who listen to the show a lot and uh, you know one one's from Chicago and one's not out of Chicago and one, one person is interested in you know getting us on the air someplace, uh, and uh, and one of the the first question was, could you move from being, uh, you know, kind of Chicago centric to more of a national type show if, if if you if you had to, and uh and I said you know probably, um, but then one of the one of the people said, you don't you don't need to do that, he said even even though you're talking about Chicago and, and the problems that some people think are specific to Chicago, it's actually endemic in all, all around the country. It's happening to a certain degree everywhere. You know, the education dropping, you know, the homeless people, the, the lack of law enforcement. It, it is not just a Chicago problem. I mean, it's a St. Louis problem. It's a, you know, it's a Nashville problem. It's everywhere. Um, where do you stand on that? I mean, I'm just, I haven't had a chance to ask you. It, it, home at could you say that question again? I'm well, it's, I mean, some I'm not, I'm not some, sure exactly. Well, some people uh, have, have said, you know, if we want the show to go more national, that I have to broaden out from being Chicago centric, which obviously I'm, I'm very close to. Uh, and other people said you don't need to do that because the same problems you're outlining in Chicago are happening everywhere else, and people immediately recognize that yeah, it's okay, the same yeah. stuff. And I, and, I, yeah, I, I I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm chewing on it as you ask. I, I what I would think is. Um, we, we, we have to be who we are um, and and that you know Chicago is a big part of who we are and even I as, as someone who grew up there and uh, um, and uh, uh, and lived there a really long time uh, would fit that mold although we certainly bring on Joel and Kenny and uh, uh, and then uh, we you know we've got Carl coming on and we you know so we have enough people who are not Chicago what I would think is that we could probably weave in some guests for other parts of the area. I would agree yeah. with that. So yeah. in my segment, let's you know let's bring on somebody who's on the West Coast and 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 do something you know do something together. Um, you know if we want to talk about education as an example, we just talked about what we don't do and don't know is going on in Chicago, what we know is going on in Illinois, what we know is going on here. It might be interesting to get somebody from Portland, Oregon, and find out what they're doing. Well, it's funny you should mention that. Uh, we'll run over a second here, and then we'll get Hal on. Funny you should mention that, because maybe Hal's listening in anyway. Uh, I just was reading this morning an article on CNBC about Costco is closing nine stores countrywide. Now, they got a boatload of stores, but they're, they're closing nine stores because they absolutely cannot keep up with not only the, the thievery, but the organized thievery. It's not just one person going in and lifting something, because... First of all, the stuff at Costco is usually so big. No, it's it's when the mob descends on them. Well, not 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 just that kind of mob. They're talking about organized people 
um, well, maybe it is, but it's, I think it's just organized people lifting stuff. Uh, you know, two or three people in the store at the same time that aren't that aren't a bunch of gangbangers. I mean, you're talking about regular. I I think I mean, I, the article is a little unclear on that, but as bad as Chicago is, none of the stores are in Chicago. Like two or three of them are in Portland, and, and two or three are in San Francisco and are in, in New York. So obviously, Portland, San Francisco, and New York have some of the same issues we have here, if not worse. Portland's turned into a, a you know, I, I haven't heard, but all you hear about it, last time I was in Portland, I thought the place was pristine. That was like 15 years ago. Apparently, it's not like that anymore. I mean, uh, so yeah. maybe maybe the problems are universal. Maybe, maybe maybe we're not even the worst. I don't know. You, you think there's so many people are getting shot here, but per capita, it's not as bad as St. Louis, a lot of these places. Well, it, it, it isn't, and um, so, yeah, we do have the same issues, and we have the same issues for the same reasons. It, it You know, it, People don't like to hear it, but the the Soros organization has made a concerted effort over the last 10 years to put a certain type of person into uh, into office in local offices as prosecutors in the name of uh, social justice, and uh, and they've been very successful at it. And you know they they vet the candidates. They know who's up and coming. They have you know. They, I mean, this is a long term effort. This is not something new. Um, and you know we are we are seeing it come home to roost. And in many cases, like I, you know, I'm familiar with Milwaukee because I I listened to a little bit of Milwaukee media that I you know enjoyed back when I was uh, when I was there. And they you know the the uh, prosecutor there talked when he first got into office about. Yeah, would there be some, uh, you know, additional casualties for this? Yes, but it's worth it, you know. And and so you implement a policy over a period of enough years, and it's going to start to have this effect. Well, we got a dash. But it just happened all of a sudden. This happened. It, you know, this is one of those slowly then suddenly types of things. Well, did you remember the uh, quick story? And I will dash off here. Um, the kid who shot his mother. Yeah. And then they, they the the judge said, well. We got to put you in the system. We got to keep you here, even though you're underage and you're supposed to let you go, because he had no home to go back to because he shot his mother, and all the people are, are outraged that they didn't let the kid go. Go where? <laughs> he just he shot the person at home. I'm sitting there going, where are these people coming from that are saying you got to let the kid go? How do you let him go? I I don't know. I don't know, but we do. Uh, evidently, SP futures up 15. As if he's up 48. Kevin talked to you on Friday, maybe. Maybe we can find uh, Bears-Denver. I hope that's not a 3 o'clock game. God God bless. It better not be oh, Whatever it is, yeah, the Bears might, you know, the, the Denver might be able to hold the Bears because their offense sucks. The Bears might, uh, Denver might be able to hold them to 45. Oh, God. Um, actually, the Bears are dogs After at home. They're giving up 70 last week. I mean, <laughs> how, how do you be dogs at home on a, against an 0-3 team? But they are. Okay, we'll be right back. Stacks and Jacks. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for 
stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Something happening here. Hello, and welcome back to Jacks. I'm tomorrow, Andrew on the board. SP Futures up 14, NASDAQ Futures up 42. Do we have the professor? How you doing? Is it Tuesday? This is Wednesday, man. You don't open and screw up your whole week, your whole biological clock. Oh, no, it, it's, not, it's not a big deal. Uh, I work mostly at home because I'm teaching at AT um, online. And uh, then I go to Manhattan on Thursday, so I'm cool. Um, into Manhattan, you know, you with the, the the girls, Sex in the City, those kind of girls all hanging around you down there. No, nah, they wouldn't. No, nah, I, I I don't. I'm not a snazzy dresser. I don't wear you know tight jean pants or whatever's popular now. I uh, probably look like a homeless guy. <laughs> the, the homeless professor, but the uh... by, by design. I don't wear a, I don't wear a corduroy jacket like the stereotypical professor in the movies. Uh, University of Chicago, they all had the. Corduroy blazer with the patches on the elbows. Oh, that's where that stereotype comes from. Yeah, yeah, it was all those guys all had, as as George Stigler said, uh, other than being a professor in economics, don't ever listen to anything any of those guys say. Look at the look clothes we wear and look at the cars we buy. We don't know anything other than our stuff. That's what the guys. <laughs> well, well, I'm definitely an economist. Cars that I maintain myself, and uh, the last time I bought a car shirt was probably 15 years ago. Um. Well, they were they were the first to buy like the uh, the original like Toyotas and stuff. Oh wow! Which is yeah, yeah but that was, that was a big problem because well actually they were Datsuns. Not, well, the Toyota wasn't a Datsun, but the Nissans were a Datsun. And I, I don't think they do salt in Japan. And let's just say as nice oh, as those yeah. cars kind of were, one Chicago winter and you were driving the frame. Yeah, I noticed that when I lived in Michigan for about eight months, um, between my Navy stint and. A couple times in and out of college, I lived in Michigan at the Fort Glass plant mechanic at the uh, Guardian Glass Fort Glass plant. In, uh, Andrew, Andrew, I think you got to kick Hell's volume up a hair if you oh, can. Yeah, uh, let me change my microphone. There you go. Yeah, is that better? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I lived in uh, uh, Mineral, Michigan for eight months, and um, 
flow glass plant mechanic uh, where we did mostly welding. And I noticed when I lived there for eight months that the uh, cars, every car that I saw was just kind of like rusted out. Oh, yeah. And, and, and that flow glass plant was in Michigan for a reason because Michigan is a, 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 a seabed, right? A seabed with all kinds of salt. So they have tons of salt and they use it to uh, keep the ice off the highways. But after that experience, I was like, I'm never buying a car that was ever registered in the state of Michigan because it's just everywhere. Salt. Why am I actually looking for a truck and I'm looking around and I, I, will not, I won't buy one from north, the north? That are a place yeah. that does. I mean, I'm the Northeast. Yeah. Or Chicago. Chicago's, Chicago's the worst. I mean, uh, yeah. it can't be any worse than here. I mean, uh, but, but it's, what I yeah. always tell people when they buy a used car is look in the wheel well. If the shiny black paint in there, don't buy it because it's been rusted out. Yeah. Well, then you got to be careful if you go south. It's not a flood car. Yep. Or yep. something. Yeah. I mean, yeah. all, you got you to be aware. In the Midwest, in the Midwest, you have hail problems, right? So you probably uh, have Bondo every car. Actually, the uh, not, not the Midwest. The uh, like like uh, the north of Texas. Yeah. Uh, that part of the country. Actually, uh, little known stupid fact that only I remember. Uh, before before Hurricane Hugo was it Hugo that whacked into Charlotte. One of them, some one of those things did. Yeah, I think Hugo was the one that uh, cut out the power in Raleigh for like a week. Yeah, yeah, we, that was yeah. uh, that was this had to be this is before Katrina, before any of these other ones. Uh, yeah, and it was uh, before that the, the, the I think the single biggest insurance claim was some massive hailstorm in Orlando where they had either fix or repair like two hundred thousand cars or something, some huge yeah. number. Yeah, because I mean. You know, auto insurance—that's the weirdest thing. You, you can uh, you can have a hurricane come flying through, and they might not not pay for your house, but they always pay for the car, and they pay yeah. for the boat too, which is even weirder. Because you think you could have yeah. moved the boat, but anyway, it's. You know, I, I don't well, know. you could be like Forrest Gump and just uh, go out on the water. <laughs> what, what do you make of speaking of which? And catch I, all the fish. I don't. I don't uh, normally drive you into uh, the more microeconomic stuff, but today. That you're a professor, you know everything. What do you what do you make of what's going on with the insurance companies? Um, on the one hand, I mean, if you had, if I had, you know, people like you to do these calculations, uh, you know, hurricanes hit in some places, and obviously do incredible damage. And it, it used to be, you know, when I was younger, a lot of times, you know, the whole, the entire coast of Florida wasn't built up. So neither was Carolina, all those places, or Texas. And you would get there, you know, there wasn't really a redneck Riviera, uh, but there were spots where a hurricane could hit, and like you know, hardly anybody lived there. So you didn't always hit a city, you didn't always hit Galveston, you didn't always hit Miami. Um, but now it seems like the entire coast, no matter where you go, you're going to run into some coastal community, which is a bad thing because you're always going to hit some place. But it's also a good thing that if you take all the way from New Orleans, essentially to New York. If all those people are piling into an insurance pool, and one one thousandth of them get hit every year, you would think you can cover it fairly easily. So I actually think the the density almost makes it better in terms of insurance. If you could cobble all those states' insurance together like a Lloyd's of London or something, but that's not what's happening. I mean, I've heard people, uh, you know, Dan Janitas is a Florida guy, so is Kenny, and I know some people. Audrey's got a, a friend who she's trying to sell a place there and move back up here. That place, they're, they're denying anybody within like three blocks of the the water any insurance whatsoever. I mean, how 
how do how do we get to there? I mean, I, I know Allstate in some of these places, instead of Allstate insuring in Florida, and I don't know the nuts and bolts of this, it's like, uh, you know, the HAL division of Allstate, a little spinoff that, that uh, gets Florida. So if the whole place gets nailed, they can declare bankruptcy with that piece and it won't affect the major firm or something like that. How, how does this all play out? Why isn't there some way of, uh, of yoking this somewhat together? Because I think if everybody paid into a pool, I don't think it's necessarily a problem to you, or maybe maybe it is. I don't know the numbers that much. Well, you know, it, it just depends on how it's all constructed. But um, given that, uh, like what you're saying, uh, like a, an insurance company has a subsidiary that's covering a, a community, like in, say, in Florida, and all the people in the pool are are uh, are experience some loss, a substantial loss, and the company files bankruptcy, uh, I would think that there's, and I'm just guessing, I would think that there's probably some sort of government regulation behind it where the true cost of the insurance has not been borne by the people living um, on the coast. And I think that's maybe one reason that and people want to live on the coast. Um, why there are such dense populations along the coast. If people had to pay the full cost of the insurance out of their own pocket, they might not decide to live there. And on top of that, you have, you know, government, uh, private sector uh, does not, I don't, I believe this is still the case, but I don't think the private sector provides flood insurance. And that's, I think, what really damages uh, homes in um, hurricane hit communities is the floods and that flood insurance is provided by the state and of course you know it's not priced by the market so that leads again I think to a denser coastline that would otherwise happen um, and th- so the way to fix it um, in my opinion would be and you really can't do it now I mean the coastline's built out but I think what has to happen is the market has to price this insurance um, and you know that would result in a lot of people having to leave the coastline I mean honestly that why should a, a taxpayer in Idaho or Wyoming have to um, pay higher taxes to cover uh, the insurance policies of people who want to live along you know a Florida coastline that has a risk of well, being I don't, I don't hurricanes in, in theory as usual you are yeah. correct. I'm not. I'm not positive that the insurance companies don't charge enough. Yeah. Because I mean, the, the dodge is. Well, they charge a lot of money. Yeah. But is it what the market would uh, uh, charge? Is it what the what, what the price would be in the market if it was truly a free market? Well, well I don't think that's. I guess what I'm saying is, if there was some way, if if all three thousand miles of of coastline piled into the into the pool i think you i think it probably you'd probably be all right but probably you, know, right. you gotta remember these are these are state insurance companies right so the, the states well that's what i'm saying the, maybe that maybe that's yeah. what needs to change yeah the, the insurance um insurance I, I know that this is the case in health insurance but like say in uh, new jersey uh the, the insurers in new jersey are basically a state Right, regulated. They all they all are. Every every, every insurance yeah. company is just in the state. I mean, like Blue yeah. Cross at one point had fifty different Blue yep. Crosses. Yeah, you know the funny thing about Blue Cross in Texas is I, re- I was reading this article. I was, I was teaching a MBA class in entrepreneurship at Westminster a few years ago. Uh, a student shared this article in class, and it was about um, how because we were talking about insurance at the time, and they had to get go out and get an article 
that applied what we learned in theory. And this one student brought in an article about Blue Cross Blue Shield in Texas, how when you call them up for insurance, because this is post-Obamacare being enacted, when you call up uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield and you ask a bunch of questions about doctors, networks, and whatnot, you're not likely to get insured. They don't want to insure you. But if you call and you ask for the lowest cost, uh, you know, the highest deductible, lowest cost insurance program, uh, they'll insure you. Why is that? Because you're revealing who you are, right? Are you a high risk? Are you going to be in the high risk pool? Or are you going to be in the low risk pool? And they only want to insure the low risk people. Well, they also, um, they're, they're really, they're really good at what they do, Helen. And well, you just mentioned. Oh, I'm that. sure they are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They've been doing it for a hundred years, right? One, one of my, one of my guys, uh, uh, my guys, a good friend of mine that I actually, it's going to sound weird, sh- shared a, a spot in the OEX with because guy's name's Ron. Ron loved to trade the opening. He made some money and he'd go play basketball and maybe he wouldn't come back. So when he left to go, we had a spot right next to the broker, up leaning against the rail, so it was very comfortable standing, relatively. So I would go, in, but the spot was pretty big. Plus, we were both thin in those days. Uh, so if we both had to stand there, we could, but by and large, only one of us was there at a time, but the spot was always covered because it was a prime spot. You needed a, you know, needed your spot in the pit, right? Uh, yeah. And once in a while, we'd have a spot war, you know, where somebody trying to invade our spot. I'd have to go down and defend the spot because uh, Rand wasn't into that too much. Uh, but anyway, his, his parents had a condo down in the uh, Biloxi, you know, the Red, Redneck Riviera, as they call it. And it was there was the Gulf, and then there was a, a beach, and there was, you know, some stuff on that side of the road. Then there was your road, and across the street there was a parking lot, and then his parents had this condo building. Uh, it was nice. And uh, so one day, one of, one of the hurricanes... I don't know which one it was, but it was still in the it was in the 1998 range because I was still trading. Uh, hurricane hits that area, everybody's evacuated, and uh, the place is is gone. <laughs> I mean, how it's gone. <laughs> and uh, so, of course, the insurance company says we're not paying because it was flood, it was it the storm surge, and uh, and the federal government says, well, guess what? We think it was the wind, so we're not paying. And it, it took them years to get like 45 cents on the dollar combined you know wow. bo- both sides dodged the thing <laughs> Ronnie says to me he goes down there and he goes there's like this this slab of concrete where the building used to be <laughs> he goes you know my parents never left like jewelry or anything in the place they were smart enough for that he goes but what happened to, like, the dresser, the TV? Where is all this stuff? <laughs> is, well, is it in some big swamp anything... inland or is it back out in the ocean? He goes, everything's gone. <laughs> well, if there was anything left after the hurricane came through and it dries out, well, you know, it's like Goodfellas. I found on this side of the road. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, one of my buddies, uh, you know, all the – I, I meet with a lot of these older retired judges and attorneys, and I learn a lot about the city from those guys and – which I guess benefits or bores people on the air when I talk about it. But one of his buddies, he's, and a hurricane was coming his way, so he's got two nice cars. He's got the, like the midlife crisis vet or something, and they got a Jeep. So they drive the thing like 25 miles inland and rent a garage and put them in this garage. Well, the, the, the thing hits right there. It goes right across Florida. The garage is gone. The cars are gone. They don't know where the hell wow. they are. It must be in a swamp somewhere. <laughs> I mean, yeah. someday somewhere, some boa constrictor is going to bump his head into the Corvette or what? I mean, uh, or some alligator. I mean, you got to wonder if people aren't or, grabbing or this. Maybe, maybe the 
Maybe the door got swung open by the winds and somebody saw it in there and drove it off. That's that's possible too. You know, <laughs> maybe that's more probable. But uh, yeah, it, it is. It, I mean, the, the veracity of so many storms is pretty incredible. Plus, you know, but the insurance. You, what what do you do if you have a place now you can't get insurance at any price, or the insurance is, all right, we want like twenty five grand. Okay, but last time the the place got wrecked last time and you only gave us forty five. I mean, what are they what are they actually insuring? I, I don't trust these guys at all. I mean, uh, yeah. did you ever have a, because uh, we had a PTI set up for our employees at one time, one of those uh, health savings plans, which they make uh, make, make a, a whole lot of sense. You know what those yeah. are? The, uh, it, for those that don't know, it's you have a high deductible, okay? Uh, say, say you got a $5,000 deductible, which maybe is not so high for people anymore, but in those days it was. But you got to take that that piece of your paycheck, and if it was a five thousand dollar deductible, you got to put like, you know, five hundred hours a month into that, which essentially was another IRA. So it was tax deductible. You put it in there, and if you never used it, it just stayed there like another IRA. So in, in theory, if you didn't get sick, you could put like twice as much in there as you could in an IRA. You know, so and uh, but the weird part, you know, is I had a couple of, you know, no, nothing nothing major. Uh, I had after the first three years, I never used. It. I had like fifteen grand in there, and I'm thinking, God, this would be cool. Wow. But by the time I'm yeah. by the time I'm eighty, you know, this thing's going to be pretty high. And by the way, you know, of course, you, you couldn't do anything with it other than like one bank did it, and I don't even think you could put it in the mar- market. You had to just like leave it in the bank. So you were getting you weren't getting anything on it. So that part needed needed some improvement. Uh, but all of a sudden, in in a string of like six months. I forget even what I did. If I did something to a knee, anyway, the the cost of so the deductible is five grand, and I went to my doctor. You know, something was a problem, or I thought it was a problem. Okay, go to a specialist. Go get an MRI. Well, the specialist and the MRI, all three times, and uh, you know to find out there was nothing wrong with me, <laughs> uh, which was nice, except you ought to go through the process anyway. Every one of them was like forty-seven fifty. The combination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, the that, that's not a coincidence. That that is absolutely not a coincidence, and so in, in, in the space of six months, my fifteen grand was gone, and insurance never Ooh. paid a dime, never paid a dime. Yeah, and uh, yeah. they're good at that. I mean, uh, yeah. when I got my uh, last time I bought a new truck, um, of course the guys call me. It's, you know, it's been a while. I bought a new one, and they and the warranty was like thirty six months, right back when it was thirty now or way more, and so these guys call me and they go. Uh, it's 36 months, 36,000 miles. And I go, the guy says, uh, how would you like the warranty to be, you know, 48 months or 75,000 miles? And I go, and it's, it's, well, something ridiculously cheap, like 100 bucks or something. Because, of course, you know, they, they knew the place was going to cover it for the <clears throat> first 36, and, uh, and they only had to cover the batch in the middle. And I said, well... And, and maybe, maybe by that time you sold it, right? Well, but by that time either you sold it or... Or you, you, you know, they fixed the stuff that was wrong with it. So I yeah. said to him, "How much to go sixty months and a hundred thousand miles? Like the extra twenty thousand? The guy goes, "We're not interested. We don't want to do that." So obviously, they knew that between eighty and a hundred is when all the bad crap happened. Yeah, that you made it well, to seventy. The, yeah, I, I've I've suspected this, but uh, and I found evidence of it. But these car companies, um, from what I've seen. Design flaws in it that um, start 
appearing in that range of miles. Like, for example, the uh, motor in the pickup truck of my grandfather uh, in Idaho, it stopped rolling up and down the window. And my uncle Paul was driving the truck at the time. And he goes, how? And it's like a 10-year-old car. And they bought it brand new and they've held it on for it to 10 years. So he goes, how can you fix the motor? And I go, sure. Before I fixed the motor though, I thought I'd check the wires um, that go in through the cab, through that little black uh, flexible tube. Yep. I thought I'd open that up and see what happened. And I get in there and I swear to God and Jesus, you know, uh, Notre Dame lost last week, so we gotta yeah. give him some praise, right? Um, but I swear that there was a wire going to that motor that had a perfectly cut insulation, wire insulation, perfectly cut by a machine that would allow moisture to get into the, the right there in the, in the door jam, allow water to get into that wire and cause corrosion. And all I did is I cut it there, I stripped the wire, spliced it, wrapped it with black tape, and the motor worked fine. Now, if he would have sold that car, the next person who bought it, the next person that owned it, would have thought the motor went out, they would have taken it to the dealership, and the dealership would have fixed the wire, probably not even done anything with the motor, and charged them a thousand bucks. Well, the, uh, as, they've, as they've started to uh, warrant these cars longer, they've gotten better. But you, know what, you know what the term for that used to be, Hal? You're old enough to remember. What's that? Planned obsolescence. Hmm. Okay, plan obsolescence. You never heard that, eh? Well, I think they do. I think they do that with the phones too. Like the phones will all of a sudden start running slower. When that happens, I do a factory reset, and then when I I do that with my laptops too. Every six months, I'll do a factory reset. I think what happens is there's so much bloatware that gets you know maybe included in the update of the operating system. You get this stuff, or maybe you just accumulate it over time. Maybe it's by design. And it just slows down the CPU and fills up, you know, the RAM. So every every six months or so, I'll, I'll reboot my phone to factory settings and my laptops, and they seem to run run better after I do that. Well, so the, I think laptops and phones are are the same way. The, they they always manage to you you can almost tell how well the car is built in terms of by the amount of warranty. I mean, back in the day when cars cost yeah. thirty five hundred, they were warranted for three years. Basically, they fell apart after three years unless you really nursed yeah. them. And then it became yeah. four years, and it became five. And uh, when we first started the show, I, I was on the, it was the Economic Club of Chicago, and they had a, a shindig over at the uh, shindig. You could, there was a luncheon at the Chicago Auto Show the day before it opened, and you got to go sit in all these cars and stuff. I mean, it was before anybody was there. You know, the, the, the girls walking the, the thing, where they were practicing, everybody's practicing. It was just, just us and, and the news media and the people working the cars. The guys were still putting the rugs down and stuff. And uh, it was pretty neat. So I was talking to this girl at GM, imagine that, and uh, she ended up getting one of the VPs on the show twice during the week. And I said to the guy, this had to be, where are we, 2023, say 2015. And I said, what is, what's the biggest change in the auto industry in the last 10 years? And he goes, that's easy. No matter where you go, no matter who you buy it from, you can't buy a crummy car. He goes, mm-hmm. the, the competition's gotten to the point where nobody will take the chance on selling anybody a crummy car. They're all they're all good, no matter who you buy one from. Which well, I, think the, I think the internet, I think the internet uh, try it keeps people honest in, in a way because um, had I had my smartphone back then, I probably would have videotaped me um, fixing that wire inside of this General Motors pickup. 
And you know, then I would have shared it on YouTube. But this was before the internet. This was like um, early 90s. So there was no place to share it. Now you can share it, and all of a sudden the company has all kinds of publicity. So well, sometimes, I, I agree. Sometimes here's a story probably nobody cares about, but uh, you know, I'm looking for another truck, right? So I keep looking, and I end up talking to people, and you find interesting creatures. Uh, one group is selling a like a 2003 Avalanche. It's like the first year of the Avalanche thing, and because I have I have issues here because um, I like to be able to haul stuff if I feel like doing something. But I have a girlfriend that says I need room for the two dogs in there, and it can't be a regular pickup truck. So I got to listen to both what I want to do and what she wants to do. So when the Avalanche, the dogs right in the back. But yeah, they don't do that up here. But not her poor. When poodle. I was a kid, the dogs yeah. rode in the back. Her, well, that's because you, you drove slower. But her poodle's not right in the back. He's going to be, you know. She's, <laughs> it's a yeah. Uh, anyway, that's so. That's an investment. Yeah. So, um, so I, I look at this thing, and the guy's got 160,000 miles on it, and he wants reasonable money for it. And it looks in spectacular shape. It's a California car or truck. So there's no rust. There's no nothing. So the guy says, I'll send you the full Carfax. And 2003 was the first year, I think, of that vehicle or the second, where they would, you know, just design a lot differently. God, hell, if somebody would have, if you would have bought that car, you'd have pulled your hair out. The first six months, I'm reading the Carfax. It's all down there. I mean, it's all right there in front of your face. The first six months... Uh, lock on the center console. Replace the lock. Replace something on the door. Replace the dashboard facing because it fell off. This is this is the car's three months old. Then it was repaid six months later. They said screw it. They replaced the whole center console. Something else. This wiring. The, the entire inside of the thing. It must have been all brand new design. All basically sucked. The first two years, the guy was the, the list of stuff he was doing every three months to fix this thing. Well, after it all got fixed, the next fifteen years, the car was fine. <laughs> but if you'd have bought that, th- <laughs> if you'd have bought that thing, you'd have say, "What? What the hell did I just buy?" Because you know, they must have just yeah. the whole interior was new, and they just kind of yeah. went down that road. Hey, I, we we got uh, we're gonna go to break and we come back. I'm gonna I'm gonna quiz you about the uh, economy here a little bit and in the market and. Uh, monetary theory and I want to ask you about how, how nervous should I be because it has me very nervous about these individual income tax receipts by the federal government are way down from last year and yet everybody says the economy is great I don't see how it could be SP Futures up 13 SP Futures up 35 be right back how much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy do you truly know the odds welcome to Luckbox the Control Freak's Guide to Life, Money, and Probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck, get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. 
I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like MAM interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Well, don't pick stocks and jocks. I'm Tamari Andrew on the board. SP futures up 15. The SP futures up 51. We're trying to make a chunk back out of the huge sell-off yesterday. We'll see. If they do, we're going to find out if Hal's a Fibonacci sort of dude or not. I'm not so sure he's a Fibonacci guy. Well, he's had a beard once in a while. Uh, Dax up, down 5, call that flat. FTSE down 5, call that flat. Kick around on up 45 cents. These guys are showing virtually no bounce after yesterday's sell-off, which is uh, probably not so good. Uh, Nikkei up 56 points. So they were down uh, well over a percent yesterday. That's 0.2%. Hang Se went a little bit of a bounce, up 144 0.8%, but there's still 17,600. They were over 18,000 last week. Shanghai up five, uh, call that one flat as well. Yesterday, ouch, Dow down 388, S&P down 63, NASDAQ down 207. This is after a little rally into the close, so we were, we were a little bit, we were worse than that like all day. Uh, bonds down five basis points, 3.4.51. The blend down two, uh, two basis points, 2.78. Japan unchanged, 0.74. We've got oil, a uh, big rally here, dollar 88, that's over 2%, 92.27, no more under 90 like it was earlier in the week. Uh, Brent up 154, 95.50, natural gas up 5 cents, 271. Our Bob up 5 cents, 261, starting to move up. Uh, we've got gold uh, down 11.50, uh, higher Fed rates, uh, bets, you know, keep supporting the dollar, and the more the dollar goes up, gold goes down. So we're down 22 cents, 22.97, copper down a penny, 363. We've got Bitcoin up 571. Their bounce has been down most of the week. That's up 2%, 26,791. And the U.S. dollar, as you might expect, is definitely up. The, uh, the euro is down to 105.3, the lowest we've seen it in a real long time. And the British pound down to 121. Again, it was stuck at 128 for months. So that's a full 5% move. Uh, it's, that's a real lot in a currency. Matter of fact, we'll talk about hell with that as well when we get held back. Andrew, what do you got for us, Traffic Weather Sports? Traffic's horrible, the weather's lousy, sports is lousy. Yep, basically all the same for all that. Uh, but right now it's 7.36 here in Chicago on Wednesday, September 27th. And yeah, they had some losses in the sports today. The Cubs lost to the Braves 6-7. to 
And if you're in Phoenix, it's okay because the Diamondbacks won, but over the White Sox, 15 to 4. White Sox are just mailing it in. <laughs> but over in the weather, it's currently going to be a, a gloomy day. We're at 64 degrees right now, cloudy skies, and we're going to have a, a slight chance of rain all throughout the day. Highest is going to be around 61% around 5 p.m. Uh, and over in Phoenix, they're currently at 74 degrees. They got clear skies, and they're going to have a high of 103 today, and that's going to hit around 4 p.m. Now, finally, for Chicago traffic, uh, thankfully no major accidents to report. However, the inbound expressways are looking pretty crowded. And on the outbound, if you are uh, riding on the Eisenhower or through the Kennedy, it's basically, as always, from the Austin Avenue to downtown. That's both ways in the Kennedy. Uh, but the good news is if you're coming in on the 57, excuse me, on 57, uh, that major accident earlier looks to have cleared up. So there's still some delays uh, around um, Halstead Street, but looks like it has opened back up. So that's all I got. Back to you, Chief. Um, hey, also, we got a whole bunch of questions for you. Uh, one is, um, what? Uh, why am I so steamed up about this? Uh, the, uh, the tax receipts being so much less than last year. Well, I think it might even get worse if you look at per capita real disposable income. It's down nearly twenty percent. Yeah. Uh, from a year ago, and if you look at it in terms of. Um, Dollars, it, it it's coming off the it's falling off a cliff. Now it looks like uh, part of that uh, cliff, it dropping off the cliff is you know we had all this M two, um, we had a big explosion M two um, because of the fiscal stimulus and the monetary money printing of the Fed during the pandemic, but uh, now we're we're below the pre pandemic pre pandemic trend. So it, it actually could get worse. You got bankruptcies. I read an article yesterday about bankruptcies uh, being up 18% from a year ago. So, you know, everything's fine because everybody goes, hey, the economy's great because the payroll survey looks great. But to me, everything else uh, indicates uh, we're in a really bad situation and it might get worse. What about your friend uh, AOC? That's what she said. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe she's reading my post. I don't know. I know I know the city, or the state, or the MTA reads my post because uh, I was uh, making an argument that you know about elasticity and you know proposing an increase, a twenty nine percent increase in subway fares might actually uh, reduce revenues, make it worse, because you know who rides a subway every day? You know, people want to go to work. If you raise it twenty nine percent, they're gonna they're gonna have to take fewer rides. Right. And so those tweets, somehow those tweets with, you know, revenue graphs and demand curve and elasticity calculations, they were marked by Twitter as being offensive. And when I tried to dispute it, I got this error message from Twitter. So maybe maybe she's reading my tweets. I don't know. Well, here's a as we've been talking about uh, all day here. Uh, we probably I probably should read it. It's not that long. This is what AOC. Uh, by the way, it's a. Uh, it got her. It got her spanked by the uh, Biden administration, from what I understand. Her saying this. Um, uh, our economy is in a special kind of crisis. Our whole economy is in a special kind of crisis. Now, if you ask a Washington insider or a Wall Street analyst, they will tell you, "I don't know what you're talking about." She said. Yeah, they, no, they they'll they'll yeah. say, "Look at the GDP. Look at the growth rate." They'll say, "Look at the job numbers. How are we in a crisis?" And her comment is, and that's an easy thing to say for someone who primarily experiences economy on paper, who aren't choosing between childcare and work or medicine and rent. 
I, it's easy to say when you're not making when you're not making those decisions. So she basically called out bureaucrats and people on TV. <clears throat> you know what? I'm right with her. I'm right with her. Hey, I'm 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 celebrating with her because that's exactly right. People in New York, you know, I don't know how people live here. It's just crazy uh, how much things really cost here. Unfortunately, my wife and I and the kids get to go to the uh, Fort Hamilton Army Base and the commissary there. Great, great grocery store. It's awesome. But man, if we were buying groceries at the local, I, you know, I don't know if we would be able to eat. I mean, it's just crazy the difference in those prices. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't. Here in, uh, I mean, I've, I've, fortunately, I guess, this the city's got stuff reasonably competitive, but it's, it's kind of hard to to sort of get around on a Saturday. But you know, I'm out the weekends usually in New Orleans, and I get up on a Sunday morning. Everybody else is asleep, even the dogs. I can go to four or five food stores competing against each other and it takes me 30 seconds to get from one to the other I mean, it's, wow, a, it's a whole that's awesome. I mean it's a whole yeah. I, I can do more in, in an hour on a Sunday morning than you could do in, in the afternoon the Saturday afternoon in Chicago and I'll bet in a week in New York yeah well you know you got the Walmart out in Long Island uh, but that's a you know if you get stuck in JFK traffic you know you're talking two hour drive yeah uh, round trip to or, or longer to the Walmart, and you do not want to go to Walmart on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. It no. is jam-packed. It is jam-packed out there. Why? Because Walmart groceries actually are pretty competitive with the commissary at Fort Hamilton. And so people will take special trips out there and just load up because the, the groceries in the neighborhoods are just outrageous. See, I do, I do way uh, way better not going to Walmart because uh, the other places have stuff on sale, and there's never a sale at Walmart, and the sale stuff's cheaper in Walmart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, by the well, way, when I, uh, when I when I, would, when I shop in a, when I was a kid, I'd walk in a grocery store, and the only thing I put in the shopping cart, ninety nine percent of it was uh, stuff that was discounted. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's well. I mean, it, it, if if you actually, yeah, because I, the reason why I do this, I'm saying, why the hell is this chief guy at the food store? Well, the South Loop here is still a dead zone in terms of uh, of a breakfast. I know there's no place around here to go for breakfast or anything, so. I mean, we have a kitchen in the office, and after the show, I go in a half hour, I cook breakfast for everybody. I mean, it relaxes me after the show, and I come back, and uh, I got my guys all working on the positions, and and we come back, we make our decisions, and start going through and stuff, and start talking to clients, but it's a, you know, so I'm I'm constantly, but if if you, I mean, you you have to shop the sales, and and if you do that, when it's competitive, you can can be okay, but you you see the regular prices just nudging up, nudging up, nudging up. Um, Yeah. Hey, you know, we forgot to put a an R.I.P. out to our buddy Brooks Robinson. Died at 86, huh? Hmm. Um, he's considered uh, baseball's greatest defensive third baseman. Um, he says he wasn't, by the way. Uh, he claims he... Well, that means... That, 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 that means I like that dude, because... Uh, oh, he's one of the nicest those, guys those, ever. Yeah, those guys are awesome. But they, he... Actually, say things like that, yeah. Well, he, he said... He goes, I got to... He goes, playing third base is a tough spot. He goes, but... You can have five guys come out and watch you and not get a ball for three games. <laughs> you know, just so yeah. happened I was in the World Series. I got a lot of tough chances, and I made all the plays. He goes, "What if I never got a ball? I still was just as good, but nobody knew me." <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he, he claimed that Cleet Boyer was actually the best. Uh, was actually a little bit better than him, but I, I don't know. He was pretty darn good. You know, what else about him is he goes, he never bought a new mitt. Every mitt he ever used was somebody who threw the mitt away. 
And he restrung wow. it, and, and he restrung it, and used that. And he goes, "That's when they're ready to be used. Put some new, new. Uh, yeah. You restring them, and that, that's the Met. You know, last thing you well, want maybe is to know. That's why he was so good on that corner. Could right? be. He had that worked in glove. Yeah. He had he had amazing reflexes. Uh, was not afraid to get his body in front of the ball and then pick it up with a big black and blue mark on, on himself. So he wasn't like uh, the the third baseman in uh, what was that the Cleveland? Indian? Oh, uh, Dorn. Uh, Dorn. Dorn. Yeah. <laughs> 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 My contract <laughs> stays, but I don't have to do this. <laughs> there, there's a that has to be for those who don't know what we're talking about in the movie Major League uh, is one of the most incredible ways of. I mean, it was kind of you know down and dirty, very down and dirty. But he comes up to the guy and he says, "I'm not going to. I don't. My contract clearly says I don't have to do calisthenics." So the manager takes the contract without saying a word, throws it on the ground basically whips it out and pees on the thing. Which was his his comment. He didn't ever said a word and walked away. So there was never a word said. There was nothing there that you could tape on your on your phone or anything saying you know, denying that the, the contract's viability, but he let's just say he got the message across. <laughs> Which wouldn't just say uh, Can you imagine that being on YouTube today? Oh you God. Know, the Mets manager doing that? Oh it's it, well, none of these old movies you can you can put on. Everybody gets so insulted, yeah. right? It was like, well, uh, Bull, Bull Durham, Bull Durham has to be my favorite. Oh yeah, right when uh, when when Meat uh, waves off uh, the curveball or no, waves off the fastball. Yeah. <laughs> and, he's, and he tells the batter, Crash tells the batter, it's a curveball, and he nick knocks it over the the bowl. Yeah. <laughs> he walks he walks out. He says to him. Man, don't you think something moving that fast really should have a, a stewardess on it? Jesus, <laughs> <says> the pitch <laughs> was great writing. There's some, there's some good baseball movies. The one I think everybody should watch, but it's really a dark movie, is uh, "Bang the Drum Slowly." You only want to watch that once. It's a, that's a, that's a hard oh, one. Oh, I got I gotta look that one up. I haven't seen that one. Oh God, it's. I mean, it's. Don't don't be thinking it's about baseball though. It's about oh. people and a guy dying basically. Oh. It's Robert De Niro and uh, who's uh. Michael Moriarty. It's, it's oh, it's it's classic. Uh, I mean, I don't I don't know which one of my favorite baseball movie is. I mean, there's a lot of good ones. I mean, uh, oh, that's a good cast. Well, the, nat- the natural obviously is real good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, my favorite my favorite line in uh, Bull Durham is when, why does he call me meat? I'm the guy with the quadraphonic blah puck. Yeah. And Crash goes, you don't need a quadraphonic blah puck. You need a curveball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a. Uh, I mean, what's what's her name was so great in that Susan Sarandon. Oh yeah, she was good. Yeah. And who, who was the guy that was a clown? Uh the clown was actually a ma- ma- minor league. Uh, he was uh, he was a real guy though. He was a real guy. Yeah, he was a real guy. Yeah. And he said he'd been. Yeah, he, the, yeah. Well, the uh, remember the, uh, the the rain out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he goes. They're, they're, they're in a slump, and Crash goes. I'll give you rain out. <laughs> yeah, he turned all the water, the water sprinklers on, and flooded the field wherever they're going to play. The uh, anyway, but uh, you know, the, but some of that stuff was. Uh, you read the making of these things, and I, I've always been yeah. fascinated about movies and how hard it is. The, the last scene in the natural, first of all, it was filmed, I think, outside of outside of Buffalo, I, I think. Uh, but they had all these extras, and of course, everybody wants to be an extra until they realize how long it takes. So yeah. the night where they did the, the scene where he, he hit the, the final home run and all the lights started exploding, uh, evidently they had to do that take, I don't know, however many times, 
and all the people in the stands, it started to get really cold. It was like 40 degrees, and nobody brought a coat. They thought it would be here like, you know, a half hour, and, and they were getting pissed because they're all, what do you get paid as an extra, 10 bucks or something? You, you, your chance to be on a, be in a, on a, in a movie? So everybody was like pretty pissed by the time they left, evidently, because the guy, these guys take forever on these scenes. I mean, forever. Yeah. You see a scene that's that's two minutes. It might be all day for that scene. It's yeah. all right. Yeah. All right well, I, think it, I think it might be. I think it might be a little quicker now because they use CGI and special effects. Well, the the day they did the scene, the last scene in uh, planes, trains, and automobiles on the railroad platform. Yeah. I was down here at Sarah because we had out trades. It was ninety five degrees. Now that scene is. Supposed to be in the wintertime, right? So these guys had all these trucks yeah. full of ice. They're grinding the ice, and they're, and they're pumping them up on the L platform, and some guys shovel. Of course, they're melting as fast. And it was sunny day, and this is supposed to be cloudy, so they had all those filters that looked like it was cloudy. Wow. They were there all day, and that scene can't be two minutes. Wow. Anyway, That's Ari, rough. letting you off the hook so so far. What what about the headwinds? I was talking yesterday. You can't look at – you can't read the news and say, oh, man, this bad crap's going to happen. I better sell the market because – you can't be so arrogant. Everybody's watching the news, right? You're not the only one yeah. watching the movie. And everybody else's view is is kind of where it is. But uh, in light of the fact that sometimes people with more experience, like maybe you and me, maybe everybody's not picking up all the nuances, and maybe we aren't either. That's the other part of it. Plus, we don't really know what's going on in the bowels of government. Some people seem to have this information. We don't. So the good news is we got some experience. The bad news is we're not playing with the full deck in terms of information where other people might be. Uh, where do you put uh, a, the government that's say lying on some of the numbers, not being forthcoming? That'd be nicer. Uh, people all of a sudden have to pay their student loan stuff. All kinds of kind of headwinds. We're also down some in the market. How do you know whether it's enough, not enough? What are you thinking here? I mean, I I think that the, the next year the Fed will start lowering the short term rates, but it's not going to affect the long term rates. They might still go up. We might end up with a a four percent short term and a and a six or seven percent tenure or six percent. I mean that's that's one prediction. Now that you know that and you know that that and a diamond get you a phone call thirty years ago. But where where are you on this? Is is the market's read of what's coming match up with yours or not? Not not that yours is better or worse. Is does it match up? Well, with with the deficits approaching a trillion and us running trillion dollar deficits already, one to two trillion dollar deficits. Um, the last, I don't know, two or three years, maybe even four years, um, they, they get, and the interest rates have been as high as they are, um, you know, the, the Treasury's going to have to issue a bunch of debt. So you got supply of Treasuries going up, that pulls the price down, and so I actually see interest rates going even higher. So if you're, if you're going to buy, you know, a CD or uh, a Treasury, I'd probably stick with a like something that matures in a year. Well, we've been doing we've been doing all we we got virtually everybody at PTI that has extra cash for in six month treasuries. Yeah, because like I was telling you a week or two ago, my my mother in law bought a CD for like five and a quarter or something like that um, about a month ago, and she was upset a week and a half later when she could have got the CD for five point five or something. I have a suggestion, I go, Mom. For, that's just that's just the reality. I have a, I have a suggestion for you. Shameless plug. Why didn't she? Open an account at PTI and have my brother go to the auction for her, for God's sake. Yeah, yeah. Way better. And she's got to, yeah. she's got to, if she, if she has to sell it or something bad happens or she wants to go buy a, a new truck or something, he can get rid of it in a day. Well, she's not going to be buying any new vehicle. I'm just saying, you, you don't have yeah, to, you don't have to lock it up. I mean, you don't have to lock yeah. it up. 
Yeah. Why didn't she do that for you? Yeah. Sake? So yeah. So, you know, that's what I see. I, I don't see it getting any better. Uh, I don't see Congress cutting government spending. I don't see them uh, negotiating an increase in taxes. So I think this deficit's going to get wider. They're going to supply more bonds. So those bonds are at uh, higher yields. Um, that interest is just going to grow. So, you know, honestly, I don't, I don't see it any well. I just don't. Um, there has to be a, a massive change in the way we. I mean, you know, I, I was watching an interview of a, a libertarian candidate, in Chile. I mean, not Chile, Argentina. And what Argentina is today, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I don't, I don't wish it, but I can honestly, if we, if we keep going down this path. I can see us being there in about ten years. I don't think it takes very long. Uh, we're we're along the line here. The last thing I want to do is pay another nickel to anybody. We're along yeah. the line here to both sides. Wake up and say, we got to increase taxes. Yeah. Um, or cause one one or the other. We can't be doing it. It's tr- not going to happen though. It's but, just but, not going to happen. But we can't be doing it. Tr- I was I was researching yesterday. Uh, the the Reagan. Uh, tax cuts and the first one what was it the something something act where we lowered the capital gains and they lowered something else in the next 6 to 12 months federal revenues dropped like 6% and they were they were horrified and immediately put through something the tax recovery act and raised all the social security and unemployment and all that. they raised all the the payroll taxes but not so much the other stuff and they wrote they did raise I think capital gains back up from 20% to 28 so I mean, they were horrified at kind of what they did. Now, in the last few years, Republicans have put through a tax decrease, and the Democrats have put through a big spending increase, both telling us it was going to net out to 100. And every both of them were total BS, and they're both 200. Yeah. Now, yeah. somebody somewhere, as much as you hate these people, they hate each other on each side of the aisle, or at least tell us they hate each other, which they probably don't. Well, I think it's all, I think it's all for the TVs. But, I mean, so, somebody somewhere has to sit there and say, guys, something has to happen here. We either got to cut something or we got to, not to mention the medical part is going up geometrically every year, as Carl keeps talking about. So someplace, somewhere, there needs to be some combination of collecting taxes for people that somehow never pay them, I hope the rates for individual people don't go up. Uh, we have to we have to somehow cut twenty percent out of this medical stuff, which is so over 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 something right now that I don't even begin to to go there. I mean, it, it's how it's gotten so expensive and so much overhead, and the people making so much money that aren't even a doctor for God's sake. Somehow, I don't see any leader any place that can make any of this happen. Do you? Can you? No, I don't. I don't think it's going to end well. I think it's going to further divide the country. And, um, you know, some states might want to, you know, there might be people within some states saying we can't get along with those people. And the other side is going to say the same. Yeah, I, I just don't see this any well. I mean, I, I don't see any compromise in these politicians. They, they run these huge, massive debts. They, they run these big, huge deficits. Uh, and I think they do it because it gets them votes. And when the damage is done, they're retired or dead. So uh, they're not thinking about the future. They're not thinking about grandkids. and They're, they're just thinking about maintaining their, their political power right now. And how do they maintain that political power? By increasing government spending and uh, keeping uh, tax rates 
uh, I don't know where they're at, right? Yeah. So and the people I, I just don't see and anything. the people who don't have to pay elect people because they're never going to go after them. Yeah. You know, but, I don't think I don't think the, I don't think Amazon's paying um, no. what you'd call a fair amount of tax. I don't think Elon Musk is. I mean, Elon Musk is probably getting subsidies to build electric vehicles. So I, I just don't see it changing, honestly. Well, the state, and, and the the state of Illinois, that, and I and I don't want. I'm sure a lot of my friends are in this boat. I, I would assume, you know, I wouldn't want to be the governor here because the first thing I would do is I would enjoin Amazon. For the last ten years, I want to know everything everybody bought in the state of Illinois through Amazon from out of state and didn't pay taxes. And I'm going to send them a bill. Hmm. I mean, the the idea uh, that you would have a brick and mortar place paying taxes, property taxes employing people here, doing what you're supposed to do, and some some smurf, I won't say like Andrew, walking in there, looking at a TV, clicking on his cell phone and finding out that he can get on Amazon from South Dakota 10% cheaper because you have to pay tax and ordering from there. To, to let that happen, to me, not only is, you know, some, some sense of immoral, but it, it is so disenfranchising to your state. The, the, well, you know, that, the, that's, that's interesting because... The sales tax, they're talking about this federal sales tax, adding a federal sales tax at like 18%. I think if you add a federal sales tax of 18%, it's going to drive commerce oh, yeah. uh, Bury everything. under the table. Right. You know, people are going to be looking to buy it for cash on the side. They're going to be finding it on the side of the road. You know, There'll be people finding it on the side of the road to avoid that tax. So I, I don't think that's the solution. I don't think taxing income is the solution. No, I don't I either. Think, I'm saying, but there are people. I, I, I mean, I think, uh, just, yeah. it, whatever it is. I, I, when, to me, I mean, I mean I, again, this is my my south side, getting getting grumpy personality. Hell, whenever somebody cheats, I have to pay more. It's, it's very know, simple. Yeah. It's very simple to me. If somebody's cheating, I have to pay more, and I and I'm, I'm tired of it. To be perfectly well, I, think the, I think the way you get rid of the cheating is you treat every. Tra- I said this over and over and over on the show. I think the way you, if you want the taxes in place by the federal government, you know. For me, that's a big if, but if that's the desire of society and government needs its uh, revenues to fight its foreign wars and whatnot, uh, then I think what you do is you just tax uh, every transaction uh, like a fraction of a percent. That's it, and you get rid of all of the taxes. Well, but you're... you're you uh, on every stage of production, you, you know, all right, we, a transaction. We, you can, we can argue this. Uh, I have the same argument with my brother. He... He's, he, you know, and he's not as cynical as me. Well, I guess people like talking to him maybe more than me. Uh, he thinks we should go with like a value-added tax. And I don't. I don't like a value-added tax. I just say a transaction. I don't, tax. But, I, but my 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 point to him was, no matter what the tax is, pick a name. Pick pick, you know, every time you every time you go to the can tax, whatever it is, the same people who found a way to wiggle around the current stuff, will find a way to wiggle around that stuff. Yeah. It's a question. So you got to find the you got to find the least worst, uh, least damaging way to tax people. I guess. I I, I don't. Uh, I think our tax system now is not all that horrible. I just think it's unfair the way it's collected. Yeah. Well, there's so many there's so many uh, loopholes around it. I mean, there's just you know the, it, yeah. Not for the, you and me. Yeah, I know, but for the the people that pull the strings. Yeah. There's all kinds of uh, ways to get around it, and I think the way you you fix it is just every transaction legal or not I, I think if you take uh, a, a firm that has been using a transfer tax mechanism to say they don't make money here and they make it in Botswana 
and you find out that the, those numbers are wrong, I think it's like a triple damage, and you, t you take the board and you say you're never going to be on a board again, and you put the CEO in jail. Guess what? You, you can do it. Yeah. Well, that's not going to happen, though. No. And nobody, and nobody, and nobody, I wouldn't want to be that guy. I wouldn't want to be that sort of law and order leader, but that's what it would take. I mean, here, on, here in but Chicago, yeah, the, you know, here in Chicago, it's very obvious what has to happen. The bad people got to be knocked on the head and put in jail. I mean, it's very obvious. If you do a transaction tax, you know, somebody gets paid, there's a small percentage that goes to the government. I mean, and, and yeah, then you're going to have a barter system and you do something. Yeah. There's always ways around something. Hell, you and I know that. But yeah. anyway, take care but of yourself. If it's small enough, if it's small enough I think uh, if it's small enough on, on the margin, I don't think there's any incentive to go around it. By the way, if you normally do something on a Tuesday, don't do it today. It's Wednesday, remember. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> SP Futures up 16. NASDAQ Futures up 50. Thank you, Hal. Thank you, Andrew. Back tomorrow, Stocks and Jacks. That's all, folks.